Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Truly, what an awesome God we serve. He is so good. All right, well, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for being our Father, for giving us Jesus Christ, for adopting us into your family, for giving us exceedingly great and precious promises in your word. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit to have understanding of what you're saying, that we would apply it to our lives, and thank you that you're working, Lord, that you, you know everything. You count all the stars, you know them by name, and you have made yourself known to us, that you've called, and that you have drawn near to yourself by your grace. So I pray, Lord, we would have open eyes to see you, we would have hearts softened, prepared to receive your good word, and I pray it would be fruitful in our lives now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Our passage is in Genesis 41 today, if you'll turn there, starting in verse 33. We live in a world just really awash with knowledge. I don't think there's ever been so many opinions and information and disinformation and misinformation at our fingertips at any time where you're just exposed to, you want to look up, it used to be that you would wait till five o'clock or six o'clock to watch 30 minutes of news that was about local, like the, what had happened locally and maybe a little bit internationally. Now you have millions of websites and you can just say Siri or Alexa or hey Google and you have answers to your random wonderings, right? You just have the, this input. And when we have uh, in the book of Daniel, this description of people running to and fro seeking knowledge, it's really fitting for our day that we are looking for knowledge. We want to hear what's happening when it's happening. And knowledge is important, but it's also not everything. It's like I can know a pipe is broken, but it doesn't mean that a plumber's available. And I'm like, well, where is the water main to turn it off so I'm not going to flood my house? Or you know your car is overdue for servicing, but you don't have the money to book it in. Or I know I'm sick. I can tell you some of my symptoms, but I can't diagnose my illness or tell you what I need to do to be healed from it. And knowing what God says is not, it's part of it, but also being able to do what he says. That's in rare supply. Now, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that Jesus is wisdom for us Christians. And the knowledge of God is revealed in his word. It's true, it's reliable, and trustworthy as ever. And Joseph was a man who was knowledgeable, who was wise, but he didn't know everything. He didn't understand why he was sold as a slave, uh, how, how long he would be imprisoned. But wherever he was, God guided him to walk wisely. He was able to navigate these feelings of betrayal and anger he didn't know how long he would be in Egypt. He didn't know how long he'd be in prison, if he would ever see his parents or his brothers again. But because God was with him, he was able to endure. He avoided sin. He accepted responsibility and was faithful to work. He handled leadership roles responsibly, and he was able to accurately interpret dreams because God was with him. God helped him. And it was his care towards a butler and a baker who were in prison that they, he asked questions about how they were doing. He noticed they were sad and they responded to him. They opened up and shared this, these troubling dreams they had. And two years later, one of those men remembered and told Pharaoh about it. 
So Joseph, after Pharaoh had had these dreams, he summons uh, Joseph out of the prison. He explained Pharaoh's two dreams that his wise men could not, that God was telling Pharaoh what he was going to do. There would be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, so severe that all the years of plenty would be forgotten. And so in knowing God, Joseph was given more than knowledge, but wisdom to know what to do in light of what was coming. And he continued speaking to Pharaoh, and that's where we pick up in our passage in Genesis 41, 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. Joseph gives the interpretation to Pharaoh. Then he volunteers some wise counsel. And this was really a a bold move. Um, Going before, I remember we were sitting down to a meeting with some high-ranking folks in the corporation, and we were told, don't say anything unless you are asked. That's it. You just hang tight. Just listen. And Joseph, he's brought before Pharaoh, the king, the monarch. His life is in his hand. And he not only tells him the dream, but he volunteers information of what Pharaoh ought to do. Wise counsel from God. He says, you should appoint a discerning, considerate, a wise man over the management of the land, the officers, the food collection. This person needs to make correct judgments and uh, with help of officers that one-fifth or 20% would be taken from the people, received from them. Um, the typical tax in Egypt was 10%, but because there would be so much grain, 20% wouldn't be a hardship for anyone. And that food that was kept safe for the seven years during those years of plenty would then be drawn upon a reserve during the time of famine. And they needed to do more than just save for a rainy day. Uh, Seven whole years of famine were coming. And that phrase comes from people that work with their hands. They're working outside. They can get rained out. And so it makes sense to lay up, to store up uh, money or food for when you wouldn't be able to work. But it's like they had seven years coming. And this advice made good sense. It was agreeable to Pharaoh and all his people. Now, one thing that I've observed about Joseph is wherever he goes, he makes a positive contribution. He's practical. As a youth, he reported information to his dad that he saw in the field. He reliably ran errands when he was in the house of Potiphar or in prison. God was with him and made all of his service to prosper. And when he's suddenly summoned from prison, he shaved, given a new change of clothes, and ushered in to meet Pharaoh. He responds just to the questions he was asked. He gives wise counsel on that topic. He doesn't plead for his freedom. He doesn't make it about him. He's speaking for the good of Pharaoh and all his people. He's not trying to seek a bargain for himself or to say, well, this is my opportunity to let him know how I've been ill-treated. He doesn't mention that at all. He's speaking for the good of Pharaoh and his people. He doesn't have complaints of injustice. You know, you know why? I've been in prison this whole time and people lied to get me in prison. I've been falsely accused. Can you please get me out? He doesn't try to barter or say, well, I'll tell you, but you need to do this for me first. 
Not at all. He, he received the revelation from the Lord and he freely gives it to Pharaoh. And I expect that he, he figured like he was going to meet with Pharaoh. This was unexpected. He hadn't woken up planning to do this. But he would go back to prison. He'd be stripped of his fine clothes and his beard would grow out again. And who knows how long he'd be in prison. But only God could have possibly known what was about to happen. Verse 38, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over, all, you shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Of all the people that came before Pharaoh, only Joseph had the spirit of God within him. God gave Joseph wisdom to interpret the dream. He advised action of what to do to prepare. And like, who better, to put into, who, who better to do this than Joseph, the man through whom God spoke this revelation? He's the man for the job. He wouldn't return to prison. He'd be promoted to second in command over, over Pharaoh's kingdom, over all the nation. He's like, only I am greater than you, but I've just promoted you, advanced you, exalted you above everyone in the kingdom. Crazy. He takes off his signet ring. Now, the signet ring is something you would use to make a seal. You're, it granted authority to make laws and judgments, to, to bind people, to make binding commands. He gave him fine linen. He puts this gold chain on his neck. That was something worn by nobility. It showed power and status. And in that day, it also had religious significance. They believed in Egypt that it would ward off evil. And Pharaoh then has him parade throughout the whole city. He's riding in his second chariot and he's saying, everyone, this is the new leader, bow before him, bow the knee. And he didn't ask for this. This exaltation was done by God. And I wonder as he's riding around what he was thinking, if he remembered back when he had that dream as a young man where everyone's sheaf was bowing down before his sheaf and he's like, wow. God has done exactly what he said. The God who raises up kings and deposes them, he's able to exalt his man from dungeon to rule a nation wisely. And he has greater responsibility now than ever before. He was over Potiphar's house. He was uh, overseeing all the affairs in prison, but now he's over Pharaoh's house and the nation. He's unable on his own to do this job that he's been given. But as God provided Pharaoh an answer of peace, so Joseph could be confident in God's guidance and his strength to serve faithfully. Knowing the God of scripture, knowing that God has called us, knowing who he has called us to be and what he has called us to do, by faith that settles us to do all that God puts before us. Because we feel like, why? We, we can feel like, well, why is it all falling to me? Why do I have to do this? I believe that it's that God has put you there to do that, even if it's not the task that you expected to do. 
Psalm 105, 20 through 22, it says concerning Joseph, the king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. This is a big responsibility, right? The the ability to arrest people, to teach Pharaoh's officers wisdom. That was now his job, a job beyond him. When we're in a position of authority, it can put us in fear, fear of what other people might think of us, fear of failure, that we can't live up to that, that we'll make a mistake, and we can put pressure on ourselves to live up to some impossible expectations, paralyzed by fear and anxiety. But remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we realize our lives are lived before God, our words that we speak are before God, even when we're speaking to convicted felons, or to the king, we don't need to be overawed by that because we've been speaking before God our whole lives. We realize that he is our audience. He is seeing us. He is protecting us. He is helping us. On his own, Peter denied Jesus when he was identified by a servant girl. But when filled with the Holy Spirit, he proclaimed Christ bravely and boldly and courageously before the whole Sanhedrin, those who had condemned Christ and killed him. So Joseph, he's not only just managing officials, uh, the agriculture of the whole country, to oversee Pharaoh's house now, to arrest princes at his command. And he didn't allow the fact that he was a Hebrew foreigner, that he was a young man, he was 30 years old. He was untenured. Like all these people were we're thinking, like, I've been born of nobility. Someday I will be second in command to Pharaoh. And he just whoop, went right over all of them. And he has to deal with them. You think they're like, oh, okay. He's, I, I'm glad that's not me. <laughs> they're like, that should be me. <laughs> he did the job that God gave him. In modern society, we often have education and training to help qualify us for a position. And on a job site, for instance, you have a, a general contractor who hires out all these uh, workers that work in concrete and plumbing and electrical, roofing, plastering, painting, tilers, landscapers. They all have their own niche. They have their own area of expertise. And they make space for the other people to do their work. But you know, in the kingdom of God, there are no specialists just members of the body of Christ. He is the specialist. He is everything. He is our life. And he guides and directs and empowers us to do his will wherever he puts us. So we're led and empowered by him to do his will, to follow his wisdom, whether it's in our families or on a job site or in an elevator, in the line for buying food at the shops, on a train platform, in a chat. The light of the world, Jesus, can shine through us. And we can do all that God sets before us because he is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. I don't know if you know the story of Gladys Aylward, but she was a British missionary who went to China. She had China on her heart and she paid her own way. She had gone to a mission organization and they said, nah, you're too old. It's difficult to learn the language. And they they shot her down. But she worked and she got the money to go and she went. And she was reluctant when the local magistrate, the Mandarin, he made her the foot inspector. Now the government wanted to stamp out the cruel practice of foot binding. And 
she was resistant at first, but then she realized that this enabled her to go freely into the women's quarters without scandal. And she integrated the gospel into her talks about foot binding. She talked about how God made people's feet and God made them to be unbound. And this is what they were to do. And she even had the people singing hymns. She, she just was bold in her witness. And once, so she's doing all this, right? She hadn't planned on doing this. She was just, I'm going to go share the gospel. But now she's a foot inspector, a government official. And then they're like, hey, Gladys, there's a riot in the prison. We want you to stop it. She's like, what am I supposed to do? Go in there. So she went in there and she liaised with the warden and the men who were fighting. She arranged for the provision of food and some work they could do. She was never married, she never had children, but she adopted many children and she housed hundreds of children with the money she earned from her job. See, the, the one that, that is set free by God from the dungeon of sin and death is free to serve him as a foot inspector, a corporate executive, a concrete layer. So let's be quick to speak the name of our savior freely and fondly and do our work for him, knowing that he's chosen us for the task at hand when it's beyond us. Sometimes we think the job is like, this is in my wheelhouse. I've got this. That's a dangerous place to be because we're not relying on Jesus and his spirit to guide us. Genesis 41, 44. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnapaneah, and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh really believed that Joseph had the spirit of God in him. We see that because of the commitment, right? He's like, you're over everything. All my house, all my land, you're going to manage it. And really this hints at the level of commitment we ought to have for God over our own lives. Yielding our whole life to his counsel and his command. And I think of Joseph, how his life changed in a day at the age of 30. God didn't change. But here's a man who's in the dungeon. Now he's living in the palace He's given the authority to rule Egypt. He's wearing a signet ring, linen, this gold chain. He's riding Pharaoh's second chariot, and he's given a new name, Zaphnath-Paneah. We'll just stick with Joseph. Uh, it's not known exactly what the name means, but some say it's revealer of secret or the preserver of the age. And on top of all that, if that wasn't enough, he's given a wife. So he's married. He is now married and marriage to a woman of high social rank, it established him in society. It shows Pharaoh's confidence in him, that he had accepted him into their society. I think winning the lottery had nothing on what Joseph had in that day, how his life changed dramatically. And I'm totally overwhelmed. I'm like, think of all the things Joseph had to learn. Like now he's in a whole new situation, a totally different environment. Everything has changed. And, he, and he's married. The God who helped Joseph with his rough older brothers in Potiphar's house as a slave, navigating life in prison, 
he would help him in the palace. He would help him in this job going forward. And God caused the work of his hands to prosper. This experience that Joseph had, it's really quite a contrast to what Jesus endured when he came from heavenly glory and he put on the body of an infant, a crying baby, not able to even feed or walk or, or talk like a, a helpless infant. He looked like a regular guy. He didn't grow up with a, a halo around his head and he it looked like, you know, a muscle-bound, fit individual. He looked like a normal person. And he lived in an obscure suburb with a poor reputation. He worked with his hands. He shaped stone and wood until the age of 30 when he began to call disciples to follow him. He never married, and when he died, the only thing he had were the clothes he was wearing. That's what they parted. They didn't have a, he didn't have a purse. He didn't have a money bag. They just took his clothes, and he was, that was it. But he humbled himself before God, and he went to the cross as a sacrifice for sinners to redeem, to save. And now the Lord has exalted Jesus above all names, that at his name every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Joseph goes out from Pharaoh, he goes straight to work. It says he went throughout the land. He put into motion the plan that he had spoken of. He's meeting with local rulers, he's appointing officers to receive, to, to build the sites, to store the grain, overseeing officers to collect the grain. And he's telling people what to do. Like he, this has very much changed, where he goes from a servant, a slave, to being in, really in charge, where he's like, you don't like it, prince? Arrest that man. And they learn pretty quickly that what he says you should do. <laughs> it was God, not his authority, not his political power, who caused him to prosper. The God who revealed the secret of Pharaoh's dream enabled him to manage workers and resolve conflicts and take confidence in God. And we see throughout all scripture that God is faithful to help his people who trust him by the Holy Spirit. So after uh, Jerusalem was sacked by the Babylonians, after 70 years of captivity, God appointed a man named Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. He was a governor in Judah. And it was a struggle. And sometimes if things are a struggle, we think, well, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe this isn't what God has called me to. But God sent a prophet, Zechariah, to speak to him and to encourage him to continue. And this is what he says in Zechariah 4, 6 through 9. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this must have been such an encouragement for Zerubbabel to hear by the mouth of Zechariah. And it's an encouragement to all who are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we put a lot of confidence in power and might, don't we? If we have the power to do something, we trust our power. I can lift that thing. I can accomplish that. I can make the decision. And everyone must observe it. 
power, might. And he says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, this will be accomplished. The hands that built that foundation, they will also finish it. They'll put that capstone on it, that final piece, and praising God that he has done it. Amazingly, God uses people to accomplish his work. And he says, when that's done, you'll know that the Lord sent me. That suggests to me that there were people who were questioning if God had sent him, but it was confirmed by what happened. God raised up Joseph to prepare for a famine and save lives. He sent a prophet to encourage a weary ruler to keep trusting and working that God would accomplish his work. Sometimes we don't see the results that we're looking for from our labors. And so we can be tempted to give up. But instead, we are to look to the Lord who's given us this job to do and trust that he will accomplish what he wants in his time. And you might say, well, I'm no Joseph. I'm no Zerubbabel or Zechariah. I'm no Gladys. Well, when Gladys was fleeing from advancing enemies in China, she had about 100 uh, orphans with her. And they trekked for 12 days to reach the border. And they came to the Yellow River and there was no way across. And there was a young girl who asked Gladys, she's like, do you believe that story you told about Moses and the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea? And she's like, of course I believe that. And she says, well, why don't we go across? She's like, well, I'm not Moses. And hear what the girl said. She says, of course you're not Moses, but God is God. He can open up the river for us. And those words renewed her faith. And as they knelt to pray, a Chinese officer came up And he provided the boats for them to cross safely when they said, we're refugees. We're just trying to leave the battle. Okay, let's get these kids across. So you may not be Moses. You may not be Zerubbabel. But God is God. He is not weak. We need to quit looking at what we're not, what we don't have, or what we can't do. But look to God in faith, praying his will will be done and work. Put our hands to the plow without looking back. We are his workmanship, and the work that he has begun in us, he will be faithful to complete. The question is, will we keep trusting him? Will we keep working? Will we keep trusting in his plans that are beyond our expectation? Genesis 41, 47. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of, the, of famine came whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So all God said came to pass. There's seven years of plenty. Bumper crops, way above average yields. And Joseph oversaw the collection in the cities. It says from the fields that surrounded the city. So they'd have these fields, there'd be a city, and they would bring it to that city so that they could have an equal distribution when they ran out of food. So it was proportionate. And for a while, Joseph, he's a fastidious man. He, he likes numbers. 
there was a point where he just stopped counting because the grain was coming in so such a volume and, and so quickly that they didn't have time to count it all. So they just kept storing it and storing it. It's, it's like one might as, well, might as well try to count the sand on the beach. Like that would be a tough job. Um, a few fun facts about that. A cup of fine sand, it's roughly seven million grains. And then I looked up, how long does it take to just count to a million out loud? Well, it's actually been done, and there's a Guinness Book of World Records for that. 89 days, 16 hours a day, counting. Oh, wow, and, and then times seven for just a cup of sand. So if you want to count a billion, they said it would take 244 years at that rate. Now, some have estimated that there are many more stars in heaven than there are sand on earth, at least as many. There's a lot of, it's all estimations, of course, but let's just say a lot. Not only does God know all the stars, how many there are, but he knows their names and where they belong in the heavens. Psalm 147, 4 and 5, it says of God, he counts the number of the stars, he calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power, his understanding is infinite. Not by our might, not by his power, his power, his spirit, his power is infinite. He knows all things. And we can be content just satisfying our curiosity to know facts, but God in knowing knows what to do and how he will actually do it. That's where we, I, I get very lost with that. Like, like, this is a problem, that broken pipe. Well, how do we fix it? I don't know. I don't even know how to get to that. I don't even know how to shut off the water. I don't even know where to source the parts for that. I don't know. But God does. And he has the power to do something, to fix, to heal. And he uses his infinite understanding to meet the needs of people. It says in Psalm 147, two and three, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's how he uses his infinite knowledge, to heal, to help. He knows who are outcast. He goes to them, he draws them to himself. Let's trust that God knows what to do and he's able to do it. So God brings Joseph out of prison during the seven years of plenty. He was blessed with the birth of two sons. They were both giving he Hebrew names, which shows that uh, he had not forgotten who he was, who his God was. And notice that their names are very specific. They both begin with for God. That God, they were, he named them because God had given them to them. And he, his firstborn he called Manasseh because God caused him to forget his trouble and all his father's house. He was no longer haunted by what had happened to him, by his past. He wasn't pining to be going back home. He didn't see his home as in, in Canaan. He was where God called him to be. And God had done this healing work in his heart. And he named his second son Ephraim because God caused him to be fruitful in the land of his affliction. He has this new role, scope of task and responsibilities. He's likely working harder than he'd ever worked before. Yet God made him to prosper personally and professionally. Now notice he found this healing without 
his brothers apologizing to him. There was no reconciliation between them because it wasn't possible. He's in Egypt and they're over in Canaan. He was at rest, though he hadn't seen his dad in over a decade. He was at rest in God. And so he's in the land of his affliction, but he is finding blessing there. He's finding prosperity there in God. God helped him to forget his trouble because he was with him. He helped him. He healed him. God was his prime focus, not his past, not his pain, not the unknowns of life. He was able to be in that place where we can be too when we look to the Lord. There's people who have financial and professional success of Joseph, but they know nothing of the rest for his soul that he had, his healing, because they don't know God. So he has this healing. He has this spiritual prosperity, and this it's like he had these troubles that few have experienced, yet God helped him to forget them. We go, how can I forget what he said or she did? But he's like, you know, the Lord has done that for me. The Lord has done a healing work in me. He knows that I was outcast and he's drawn me near to himself. And there's rest there. There's healing there. There's hope. And I firmly believe, based on the examples of the New Testament, that followers of Jesus can have healing and help from God without having um, being married or having children or wealth or fame. Like we could say, we could just write off this whole thing and just say, well, of course, Joseph's happy now. He's got, his life is back together. Right, but that didn't change his past. That didn't change his hurts. That didn't do anything for those things. It's easy to just shrug those off for him. But no, God did a work in him and through him that was profitable. And he's like, you know, I don't even think about those things. They don't even come into my mind anymore. What's happened to me? Because God is with me and helping me. So our past, it can't be changed, but by faith in God, there's healing and hope for us moving forward, and we could be content and rejoice in him, whether rich or poor, slave or free. Genesis 41:53. Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was all over the face, over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. Seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, very severe famine. It was a global problem. It wasn't just in Egypt. It was in all lands. It says uh, the whole earth. Yet in Egypt, there was bread because they were prepared. God had prepared them. And when people ran out of food, they go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, we're hungry. Go to Joseph. Do whatever he says. Whatever he says, do it. And it's, it's not that he's being careless, but he's so confident that Joseph knows what to do. He's like, he'll take care of you. And he did. He opens up the storehouses, says he sold to the Egyptians, and also to travelers, people who came from other countries who are like, we don't have any bread. And they began to sell to them as well. And knowing that there was going to be famine for seven years, they weren't wasting seed and sowing. They reserved that grain because they're like, well, for seven years, it's not going to grow, so why sow? And they were able to preserve. 
And the word spread, there's food in Egypt. These travelers would come through and, hey, there's food there. And that meant hope for survival. People just flocked to Egypt to be fed. Now, before God judged Israel with the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, he warned them of a famine he would bring. Turn in your Bibles to Amos chapter 8, starting in verse 11. God's people, of course, would come out of Egypt. They would go through the Red Sea. God would establish them in Canaan. They would become a mighty nation by his grace. And they would also be judged for their sin and brought into captivity. And so through Amos, God warned his people before this transpired. It was relevant for them, and it also has relevance for us. Amos 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. When God led his people through the wilderness for 40 years, he was teaching them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God fed them day by day. He provided for all their needs that as he spoke, they were to do. And if they walked in his ways, they would have life. They trusted him. They entered into the land and God delivered them from their enemies. Now God revealed himself to Israel in a special way. His voice boomed from the heavens. He gave them his laws and statutes. Yet they would experience a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. It wasn't that they didn't have God's word, but they didn't hear it. They weren't able to receive it. It would kind of be like if you're in Egypt and there is this famine throughout the world, leaving Egypt where there's food to go study the farming methods of the Amalekites and the Amorites. Like, what are you guys doing to try to get through this famine? Well, all the food's right there. And God's people did exactly that. God revealed himself to them. And yet they Sub, they exchanged the living water for a broken cistern that could hold no water. They sought idols. They worshiped these foreign gods rather than God. So they're going to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but they refused to listen to what God already said. God had spoken. God's word was there for them to read, but they weren't hearing it. Their life wasn't changed by it. They wandered because they refused God's guidance. And it goes on to say, you're swearing by the idols of, of Dan and Beersheba that can't save. You're still thirsty. You're still hungry. And in a worldwide famine, God provided grain in Egypt. Those who wanted it and needed it, they needed to go to Egypt to get it. Right? That's where it was. They had to go there. Jesus has told us to come to him. He's the living bread come down from heaven. And those who believe in him will have eternal life. He's the only way to salvation. And God's given us his word to satisfy our thirst for knowledge and wisdom to know what to do. Our issue is not often a knowledge problem. It's often a hearing problem. There are things that God has said that we refuse to accept. We refuse to hear. We're like, no, I'm not going to hear that. I'm, I'm going to. I would like to hear something else. So we're trying to find something that appeals to our hearing. And I wonder how many people 
in Egypt left Egypt to try to sow crops elsewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. And we're like, how dumb could you be? Mm. Look at Israel, right? God, God revealed himself in power and yet they moved away from him. They're like, oh, I'll take that broken cistern. You can have my living water, my, my spring. And we can do this. We can put human authors on the level of God's word. And I think about this. We go, oh, of course we wouldn't do that. But look, you hear about a diet. You're willing to change the food you buy and the meals you prepare because you've seen that it has benefited someone else. And so you're willing to make these very radical changes of your diet, things you don't eat, things you do eat. We see a cleaning hack online. We go down to Bunnings and we get some of that stuff. And we're like, ah, I wonder if this will really clean my shower. And, and we actually do something about it, right? We're like, let's mixing these chemicals. And oh, that's pretty strong. And, and so we, we're trying these things because we've seen it work for someone else. And we see a funny meme and we're like, that's funny. And we send it to various people that we think of, right? So we see something that, that touches us in a way, whether it's humorous or meeting a need. And our life is impacted by it. And because it's impacted, we share it with others. We, we pass it on and say, oh, that doesn't work. Don't waste your money. Or this is it. This, this stuff works amazing. Does God's word impact you like this? That when you read it, it actually changes something about your life? Because you've heard something, you're like, wow, that's true. And that's what I should be doing. I should be looking to the Lord. I should be hearing it as a directive. I should chew on it. I should absorb it into my being that it will change the way I think and the things that I want. And when I have a feeling that's not of the Lord, I can recognize that and say, you know what? This is the truth. It's greater than just what I'm feeling now. God is able. God can help. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it's a good example. It says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So Paul's like, I'm so glad that when we spoke the word of God to you, you actually took it as the word of God. We were speaking the word of God, but you took it that way. You heard it that way. It impacted you that way. And knowing someone's talking, does it mean that you're hearing them or listening to them or even caring what they're saying? No. But when God is speaking, let's be those who hear him, that his word would arrest us, that we'd go, that's right. This is true. And God does, he tells us more than what just to do about things, but he's, he tells us who he has created us to be, who we are by faith in Christ. And so let's welcome God's word as his word. Let's let God be God, knowing that his word, it says, effectively works in us who believe. And his word works in us better than the food that's absorbed into your bodies that gives us strength and physical vitality. A lot of people hear God's word and they go, whatever, and they just keep doing whatever. But when we hear God's word, let's do whatever he says. That's the difference. We hear it, we obey. The parable Jesus told about the two people building, on the, building their house, one builds on the rock, he says, that's the one who hears my word and does it. The one who, he, who, who hears my word but does not do it. They're, so they both heard, but 
what are we doing? To be obedient to what he said. And if we hear his word and obey them, we will be like that one. Hey, the storm is raging. The wind is blowing. The waters are rising, but we can stand firm in faith in Jesus. The one who hears and obeys receives God's word and truth, and there is prosperity for our souls in him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this truth that is timeless. No matter how uh, old we get, we need you as much as ever. And thank you for teaching us in our, as, as life goes on, that we, we actually need you. Our, our understanding of how much we need you increases. And I pray, Lord, that there would be in us a humility to hear your word and to do it, that it would impact us powerfully because we're, we are seeking you and it's by your grace that we can receive your truth and walk in it. So I thank you, Lord, for the example of Joseph, uh, Zerubbabel, Zechariah, Gladys, all these people in, in uh, I guess, the, the testimony of God's people, whether in your word or in real life. Lord, I pray that we would walk in your ways. We would listen to you. We would trust you, whether we f- feel like we're in the prison or on top of the world, that we would humble our hearts before you, that we would hear your word and do it, that we would be those who, who rejoice even in suffering, knowing that you're with us, that your work is being accomplished, and thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. You are the one who works, and thank you for employing us, for, for choosing us to do your work. How awesome it is that you do your work through these flawed, broken vessels so that you might receive the praise. And Lord, we just lift our praises to you now. We extol and exalt your holy name, the God who created the heavens and the earth, who who counts the stars and knows them by name. We worship and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.